Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skide af alle de der podcasts og forklarer meget nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lytte til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel. 
Like, I, I don't know what the quality of the Premier League would look like. Or if they weren't there altogether, would suddenly United Spurs take well, the leap going, actually, we could win this. But, the, but this is the thing is that, okay, it's not just a case of taking City out. So take that 100-point season, you take that City team out then what does the rest of the Premier League look like if David Silva's at United and Kevin De Bruyne's at Spurs? So we're talking about about if City didn't exist. If City didn't exist and they weren't there, then... Uh, What I would say about that, if City didn't exist, some of the signings that City have brought in are very specific to City and it wasn't a case of everyone was knocking on the door trying to sign all the same players at the same time. So they wouldn't necessarily have that same effect elsewhere. It's it's the Harry Maguire maxim of um, if City had signed Maguire, he might have done a lot better than he's done at United. Yeah, it's... um, I think it's a it's a it's a good question because, as Sam said, with those title races, if City weren't as good, at the end of the day, all you're going to do maximally is give six points to another team, and if you give six points to all the other teams in the league that City beat twice, then it doesn't necessarily affect their ranking that much. It doesn't mean you're any closer to Liverpool being in the 95 point section, because those have been exceptional seasons as well, but just happen to come with a rival. So I'm not really like. I think it shows how good City have been, but it also shows level of consistency, which is what what sets them apart. Because Liverpool did it for many seasons, but then they've stumbled in the last one, basically. And I think Arsenal have done it this season. Can they do it again next season to be in a title race? And do we expect title races to be three, four teams? Or is it more normal to see two teams going up there when anyway? Was the, yeah. When was the last three-team title race? I don't know. Like I don't remember many permutations. Thirteen, fourteen, because it was only late that Chelsea, that Chelsea fell out, out of it, yeah. and then obviously, but then it still turns into, but then it turns into I mean, it still turns into two. Like, are we expecting for it was, to Yeah, be... but it was quite late. That was probably the yeah. latest I can think of where it was more than two teams. But it still ends up at when the like the season is thirty eight games, and as you approach that thirty eighth game, how many teams can potentially win it? And if the answer is two, then that's like as standard as it comes. Essentially, the trap we fall into is probably every season. Everyone's like, oh, six teams could win it this year. It's like, no, what you're talking about. Yeah. To be fair, that's probably going to change now because I think people have got to the stage now where everyone expects City to win it. Whereas, ironically, I'm probably thinking next year, City and have they got the hunger to actually do it again and blah, 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 all this kind there's of stuff. A record, there's a record but, on on hand, isn't there? Yeah, after yeah, that, so. four in a row. But, yeah. Um, yeah, part, yeah, you're right, though. There's, there's not always. But when has there ever really been yeah. like three teams who can win it going into even like the last week? I, that 2013-14 was the latest I can remember. Yeah. I'm sure there's been similar. but I think it's just a bit disappointing because it takes away from what they've done. And what I would say as well, so City obviously have money, but there have been so many players who City have bought where the initial reaction people is that something's overpriced. You know, when you look at when they talk about Kevin De Bruyne and the like, the people, even Kyle Walker at 50 million, people are like, oh, that's a lot of money for this, that and the other. So if they're paying too much, but then the players then like improve and get better. Then like the actual fee itself isn't the biggest issue as such. And like Carl Walker's been there for the whole thing now. Exactly. Like, yeah. Every trophy that they've won. Exactly. He's if, done. If you got, I think for most fans, you need to ask yourself: If your ownership group had the same money as Cities, would they have had the same players and done the same thing? And the likelihood is they probably wouldn't have done. The the, the, the signing is always Diaz, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas like anybody could have gone out and signed Ruben Diaz and they didn't city city went and did it and well everyone else was looking at everyone else exactly yeah exactly so there's, there's there's more to it than that and ultimately as well i think when we see someone lift a trophy it's very quickly it's very easy to forget the process to get there and say last season if it would have happened liverpool won four trophies they'd forget in some ways that they would have won the premier league on the last day of the season and won two domestic cup competitions by penalties after not scoring a goal and then if the Champions League could have been by a single goal or something like that. So they would have had four trophies, but they didn't dominate any of the moments to get to that point. But then if you're winning four trophies, does that make yeah, like, it easier? Football, football is always wins a win. Yeah, like, exactly. So I don't, 
I don't know, man. I think this season, um, I hope they do. Um, obviously, you know, I'm clearly biased. I, I hope City win the treble. And the reason I say that is because this season has been recorded internally by their sort of like media team and alike. And it will make for an incredible documentary because it will show how they actually won it as opposed to how people think they won it. Because for long paths, for long periods through this season, people were semi writing them off because they were saying, oh, something's not right. Like I used to say, something's not right. Something's not, yeah, something's not right. It's off. But then if they finish the season in the mid 90 point section, like, how off, for, how off has it been? Yeah. You'll, for, you'll forget that, like, you were, we had that energy for a period of time. Oh, it looks like this guy wants to leave. That guy wants to leave. Oh, Cancelo's gone. As late Lincoln as February, I was, yeah. I, I, I was like, this is something is isn't right. Exactly. Yeah. All this, all this stuff is real. All this stuff is very, very real. But it's easy to forget about once you get to the finish line, and just assume that it was another routine season. Because you know, as it stands, if they win their games and Arsenal win theirs, they win the league by seven points. But it's not that. You know what I mean? There's been a long journey to get to that point, and that's why I think if you take a zoom out and look back at some of those seasons. It's not been City romping away with it. And if it was, that's a concern. But most of the time it hasn't been that. And they've been forced to get to a point where they know if they drop a single point, they'd lose a Premier League title. Well, of, of Guardiola's titles, they've romped away with it twice. Yeah, but funnily enough, the last one they did, which was the pandemic season 2020-2021, was when they had... There was massively those vibes earlier in the season. Yeah, of what's going on? City. What? What was City at some point? They were like ninth. They were in the ninth. Table. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They were, like Guardiola signed a new contract, but there was no guarantees that he was actually going to sign that. And even when he signed it, it didn't really make a massive difference because they lost to Spurs. They lost to Spurs the next weekend, and then I, it was it was. I mean, it was crap until he played Chelsea. And, and then the turning point of, was Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Mm. Yeah, and then but then they would kind of yeah they went the to Southampton, nine, got the win there well, too. Yeah. Then it was a then it was the false nine. They won like twenty four games in a yeah. row in all competitions. Mm. By the time they lost in the Premier League. It was oh doesn't matter because like, they were already miles ahead. Mm. But even that's exactly what you're saying, and that was an even bigger example of that negative energy around knowing the press and the media and the fan thinking something's not right here. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it clicked. And I remember people saying, and this highlights a point quite well, when people talk about City or Guardiola or whatever. I remember people joking at the time. Oh yeah, suddenly in like the December that season, like the money woke up and realized, yeah, yeah. and the money put everything right halfway through that season. And it's like it just literally is not that, is it? If they've been, if they've had problems in the team where the team's not playing well, individuals aren't playing well, the tactics aren't great, or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, the players come together, the manager changes something, and they start fighting again, or whatever it may be. That's the process you're talking about? Mm. Whereas it's easy to look at now and say, I'll sit here, one, three titles in a row. It's bad. That, that was, was the first one. That was the, the same, second one yeah. was fighting Liverpool all the way. And then there's been this one, where they had that negative situation after the World Cup, where things did feel off. Mm. Things were going on. You know, I've... You know, at the end of the season, where there'll be a big like article, we're looking at they all those little things. But... All season until the the run that got them back ahead of Arsenal, they hadn't they won three games in a row, Max. Yeah, it was until that last international break when they beat Liverpool. Yeah, okay, that's four in a row, and then the rest followed. Yeah. As as the season finishes, people perceive it to have been a routine year for them. You know what I mean? And it's just it's just not been that. But also, you, you talk about that documentary that they're doing when Guardiola's talked about the Champions League and whatever happens. With the Champions League, with Guardiola at City, we'll find out. But whenever he's talked about the Champions League in the past, and it's, it doesn't affect how I'm going to live my life. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it, because we've come here and we've won X amount of titles out of X, and he's always been like that. And people will be like, "Oh, he was just saying that because you know he hasn't won the Champions League, so it's like a defense mechanism or whatever." But in terms of that process, and look, that documentary will show 
one side of it, but they're not going to show everything. They're not mm. going to, it's not going to be warts and all that documentary. But Guardiola's seen and knows firsthand how difficult it is to come and get like the players, not just to win it once, but to come back and do it again and do it again. And that's something that people just put down to money. And oh, well, he's got the best players. And it's like, we've got to make the best players be yeah. consistent and make them do play, it every yeah. time. And people don't see that. And people can't really comprehend that because you've never really seen it. And it, that's why it gets easier to write off. But I asked Rodri in Madrid, um, like, what makes you different to the other teams? Why are you here? Again, trying to get into the Champions League final, trying to win the Premier League, the same as last year, the same as the year before. And he was like, we act like a small team. Like, we believe we're a small team. We run like a small team. And if you think you're bigger, that's when you get confused. And there's no kind of pretension there that next season, for example, if that same thing holds, they're not going to go into it thinking, well, this will be easy. They're going to go into it and fight. And you think, where does that, where does that, that mentality fight come, come from? from? Yeah. And like, not all of the players are like massive fans of Guardiola. Like some of the biggest legends who have left, most of the biggest legends that have left aren't like massive fans of Guardiola, but they've just always done what he's asked them to do basically when and, when when the crunch has come they've fought for him and, and Guardiola yeah. being a pain in the ass on the training ground every day in like recovery sessions like shouting at them this is the Premier League like you can't switch off and it's like shut up mate but that's where it comes but from always... and then obviously the players regulate really well within themselves but again you talk about I remember having to write about this after you know the Spurs game where they lost after the derby mm. and I was asked to do a kind of what's going on at City I was like well it's mainly just coming back after the World Cup and players are out of form and some are like not in great shape or whatever, but they feel like that'll be fine. And I remember writing, this isn't necessarily a big deal, but it's interesting to note that the makeup of the dressing room has changed quite considerably compared to last season because you had Zinchenko, Gabriel Jesus and Fernandinho in particular and Juan Marleo, who was very close to the players. He was very close to Cancelo, actually. And they'd all gone in terms of regulating the mood in different ways. Fernandinho, more of a classic leader. The other guys like... No, they were the no bad faces guys. If they weren't playing, it didn't really matter to them. They would still be there and supportive. They were a big part of the, the vibes, group. guys. And you think I remember specifically saying this may not be a big deal because nobody was really talking about it before the World Cup. So maybe we don't need to talk about it now. But it is interesting that the dynamics change. And now you look at it in a different context of having won the title. City have managed to regulate themselves and have that good group in the dressing room mm. in a completely different way. And at the time, people at the club you know, around the coaching staff were saying. We don't actually have that many leaders. We don't actually have that kind, those kind of guys, and maybe that is a concern. But again, like, it hasn't been, and that was something that they were even thinking at the time. But you look at it now, and they've just they've managed to have the same outcome, the same effect, the same kind of bad spell, and the players getting themselves together without those guys there, like Fernandinho, to knock everyone's heads together and say this is what we're doing. <laughs> the fact that they've managed to roll that into the next season with different personnel, and obviously, company left years ago, and they managed to do it after him. It took a season. Obviously, that year when Liverpool won it. But then they kicked on again and did it. And they just keep confounding those expectations. And it just goes back to everything that I've been waffling on about for the last like, three minutes, five minutes. Like, it's not... <laughs> and the rest. It's not, that's not money, is it? Like, no, it's not. It's, and, and, like, it... You could even run in... The, you never mind, Nadam, you were saying other clubs signing those players and what might they look like. I would like to see an experiment where another club signs all of these players and they've got City squad and what they win. Mm. I don't. I don't. Totally agree. It's anywhere near. Yeah, obviously, like we are, we do lean in a slightly biased way on this side. But like, how many people massively, are trying to sign? Massively so. Yeah. yeah, how many people are trying to sign Nathan Ake? You know what I mean. Mm. But he's been one of the best players this season. How many mm. people are keen to sign Manuel Akanji? Akanji, yeah, yeah. 
Again, massive play for them Dortmund's this season. Yeah. Dortmund reserves, they were looking to get rid of him, partly because he didn't want to sign a new contract, but he was not on anyone's radar no, at all. No, no, He was no. signed because like an injury crisis, and he should know the stats, but I mean, he is he is up there with City's most, most regular players, appearance yeah. makers, yeah, yeah, most minutes. It's just, it's frustrating, and I think the point you made where you spoke with Rodri about how like they have a, like a small team mentality as such, I'm acutely aware of that because that would be one of the things that sort of drives you to be successful, but it's the exact opposite from the outside because every time City play, people think, "Well, oh, they're just going to win." Yeah, they're just going to turn up and they're just going to win. Well, this, this is the. It looks it, like they've actually got that authority on the pitch yeah. where they'll actually know you can't touch us. But, it's almost like it, it looks like arrogance, isn't it? Yeah, they, and in a reason, good way. Yeah, but the reason I say that is because they don't just win a title by winning the big games. They win a title by winning pretty much all the games against yeah. everybody, mm. and that means if they go into a place where they're going to have to head it and kick it, they'll head it and kick it, or a place where they need control possession, they go on control possession. Like teams who fancy themselves would not be up for the challenge of going somewhere more physical, but they live for that as well. This you know is what I mean? this is what that point you made about um, kind of Guardiola saying it's the Premier League. It's 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 what the outside world doesn't get. It's the number of times you see the take of like where why is Guardiola saying you know West Bromwich Albion? Wow, guys! Like no, because it. because he he gets it. He gets what the challenge is. They are a Premier League side mm. that could beat them. Yeah, that's that's like it's. It, I think the Premier League. It get some people call it the best league in the world, but then as soon as they start talking about one of the better teams in the Premier League playing against another one, they assume that it's almost like it's a farmers league dry. or something. Yeah. yeah, it's done. Like the whoever's playing for a team in the Premier League, these these are some of the best players in the nation around Europe around mm-hmm. the world because people have money to be able to invest in that now. So whatever they can put forward in any given moment can be good enough to compete because it starts off I know, eleven versus eleven. I know Southampton were relegated quite yeah. like the first team down um, when they beat City in the League Cup it wasn't a mishmash City team that was put out No, it, it, was, it was a good City team it was rotated but it was yeah. a good City team yeah. but it goes to show again those names on paper whenever a team goes out whichever team it is in the Cup competition when they made some changes that team should have enough yeah. to beat them but it's, but like, it's well, not just about they? the team is it That's, yeah. yeah exactly that it's not just about the players it's not just about the money spent it's about the motivation the feeling in the group or whatever obviously just it could well. just come down to anything just being playing just, well oh even the fact no mistake well. whatever being, being clinical mm. being clinical is the thing that sort of sets City apart to others and that's clinical at the back up front and doing the things that they need to in key moments because you know we've been very fortunate to the point where a lot of times this season you can't think of a game where they've had a ton of chances and not taken them whereas I think in times gone by when they've not won something that tends to be the thing because realistically, like we mentioned the loss to Southampton and so on, not many teams will outplay Man City. But it doesn't necessarily mean that like like City the story of City losing a game is not always gonna be, say, about the opposition doing what they're doing and completely outplaying and totally deserving it. But it'll always be perceived that way when City have a bad day because something's not right. Harlan's not had enough touches, this, that and the other. But if City are clinical and they strive to be just that some people don't like it, but it's business. Winning games is business. And like for them, I know it's at the top of the premiership and the like, they don't get the same joy as in winning a game as a team would do who are fourth bottom. Yeah. But there's more pressure, I would argue, because they're always one game away from everything being done or everything being done. And they've won more games already. So like, the team at the team at the bottom has... You're desperate. You're desperate, but... You're not you, expecting it. You're not expecting it, but you you also have you know the teams around you might also not win. Yeah, and so this, you've got another opportunity next week until you haven't got an opportunity it's, it's, next week. Yeah, like as the season progresses, don't get me wrong, the pressure does ramp up down there. But down at the bottom, it's like the competition to be the least crap team for a period yeah. of time. 
like you figure out the difference between seeing a team behind you at the top who's got two games in hand versus a team down at the bottom behind you who's got two games in hand. The team down I'd at the rather bottom, have the points down the bottom. Yeah, the team down the bottom is very unlikely to win two games in hand yeah. because otherwise they wouldn't be down at the bottom. Mm. So you can celebrate your win and know how significant it is because it could set you apart. There's a there's a lot to be said because for the ones who win a lot, it's business. Mm. Like you might get a high of winning a game late, but as soon as the game's done, you have to get ready for the next one because you have a task that involves you being exceptional. There's no point in winning that one in the last minute if you're going to lose the next one. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas if you win a game down at the bottom, you've probably got a bit of breathing space to where you don't have to win the next one. Or it might, might break that way. But like credit to City, credit to the coaching staff, the players, because what they're doing is remarkable. And I think when people undersell it and assume they just mm -hmm. win every single game, firstly, they're not watching it. Secondly, they've not played football. And thirdly, they're disrespecting so many other teams that City come up against who are more than capable of doing whatever in a game. Because at the end of the day, it's a game of football and anything can happen. OK, we'll pause for a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to be talking about statues, who should get one, where the bar is, all that sort of stuff. Back in a few minutes. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skidt af alle de der podcasts og forklarer meget nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel. Gundogan doesn't feel... I feel like to get a statue as much as... Because obviously we'll talk about achievements and goals and moments or whatever. But I feel like you kind of need to be a certain type of player. And I know David Silva got one, so maybe not. But David Silva was that kind of hero and loved by City fans like for, forever. You know, as long as I've been covering City, started in 2015, he was already a massive favourite yeah. anyway. And like Gundogan is like emerging... Um, now and you know last season obviously with the Villa goals which puts him right up there but it 
feels like De Bruyne is the more statue type of player. Do you know what I mean by that? Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense, yeah. Yeah, because just the type of player he is, the more blockbuster goals, you know, the ability to like run past people. He's got more individual accolades as well. Um, yeah, been... I guess so. He just feels like more of an individual player as well, which sounds, you know, like... He's been there mad. longer. He's been there longer. Longer than Gundogan, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By a couple of seasons. Uh, he's the longest serving player the there, one, I think. One season. It was the last Pellegrini season. Yeah. And then Gundogan was the first player that... And then Gundogan's time at City started off quite slowly, didn't it? Yeah, well, he got he, he got the knee injury. Yeah, yeah. His he, first he was out for a season, wasn't he? Yeah. I've, I've, listen, I don't have many, many good takes, but it was one... If you uh, have a season-ended injury, you can't have a statue. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have many good takes, but I remember uh, speaking with one of my friends about Gundogan at the time saying, I think he's really, really good. And I was basically laughed out of the room. He says, oh, don't be ridiculous. And then that was the season where Gundogan, I think it was behind the closed doors one, yeah. where he scored a ton of goals and he was doing all sorts. He got, he then, got, he himself got really angry about everyone saying to him that season, um, oh, you've, you've really stepped it up this season. Well now, yeah. like, well. oh, sorry, that I've always really been playing well. Yeah, yeah, that really annoyed me. So, that, so that's, that's my thing. That's he always played well in whatever role he was given. Yeah. But he just so happened to be given the role of scoring goals that time. But before it was like, Stodge up the midfield next to Rodri, or um, even if it was just the between the two, not quite as example, not quite an obvious, not quite as obvious an example of sitting deep next to Rodri or, or scoring loads of goals, just being in midfield and doing what he does. But then that's the thing. I think when people talk about Gundogan generally, they talk about the the goals. They go, oh, yeah, he knows how to score goals as well, obviously because he got a few during the running, but mainly because of that season when he was doing it. Not only he's good on the ball, but I always come back to it, but his ability on the second balls, the tenacity, like he knows where they're going to be, the tenacity to go and get them. He's that side of his game, which is another kind of thing we were talking about with City earlier on. People are like, oh yeah, they're like good footballers or technically good or whatever, but they've all got that grit as well. Mm. And he's definitely there. But yeah, in terms of the statue, just on the bar being so high, like with what, those guys who've got statues already, Aguero, Silver and Company, what they did and kind of how they established City on the pathway to what they are now, that does kind of make them untouchable. But it does feel like the next thing would have to be a winner in a Champions League final. But not, you know, if... I'm trying to think, if like Akanji scored the winner in a Champions League final, he's not going to get a statue, <laughs> is he? But if you're De Bruyne or Gundogan, with everything you've done and you've got the moments there... To back it up, so obviously with Gundogan, you got the, the last game of the season against mm. Villa last year. With that, that that that's almost Aguero territory in its own. Does it matter? Own right, anyway. Does it matter the, the quality of a goal? Because what if what what if he absolutely scuffs it onto his own foot and it bobbles into well, the far that's corner? That's an interesting question. I'd, because if you, if you score the winner in a Champions like, League final, it's almost like if you if you've got the molds ready to make a statue of this guy anyway, does the goal have to be good enough to, to, to say no? It. Forget it. Because if you're going to do it or you're thinking about doing it, then you do it whatever. But it's just. I think if they win the Champions League, I don't think it would be an individual statue. I think it would be something to commemorate all the people involved. Yeah. And I think, if anything, the next statue that goes up would be a Guardiola one. Do you reckon? Mm. I think it should be. I think it will be before players. And I thought and some people won't like that. Because ultimately, like, the statues are a lot. But I was thinking, on reflection, because City have only been at the stadium 20 years, a lot's changed in that 20 years. And some of the people who are in contention for it have really sort of dictated what... The future, what today looks like for Man City, you know, with Sergio when he first came in, and the next thing he's got is 260 goals. It's like, the first era, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, like Vinny being there from before the takeover, linking to after the takeover, David Silva being like the first proper, like, oh my God, like this guy is the guy, you know what I mean? And spending the amount of time that he did. But I think it's good in some ways that 
considering the stadium's only been open 20 years, you can talk about players who've been there for nearly 10, you know, and for great players to spend a long time at a football club says that there's a lot of positive there. That really does matter in my sort of eyes. And yeah, the Gunnarwen statue, De Bruyne statue, feels like De Bruyne will probably get one at some point. I think? Yeah, I think he would at some point, just because like he's been, and this is maybe again where it's different, there's been cases put forward whereby they said he is the best midfielder in the world. You know, that's a very, very significant player to have on board. I don't think he'd want one, but I feel like that's quite a significant thing. Um, so I think they'll probably make the most of that. I think he's the next up due for a testimonial, that sort of thing. I think that I think that will matter. If it's in the same style as the ones that are there already, I hope there's a red light in the face just to bright to light the cheeks. <laughs> Depends how hard he's working. Yeah. Do you know? In fairness, what I was going to say though, to like do a slight pivot on this, it'd be tough to figure out that one. But I think for the women, you could get one of Steph Horton outside the the Academy Stadium because she's mm. been there ten years, and that's quite significant. I feel, and I think you know, it's very easy to look at the men's side of things. But she's she's technically the longest serving player at the football club in mm. general. And I think she does. She will deserve something. But I'm not. I'm not against statues. I think that we, seems like a very city thing to do. In fact, I'm half wondering if you know already. No, no, no. It seems like a city thing to do to go. We're going to build a statue of a woman's player. Mm. Yeah, but she, like she's, but she's been there. She's been there. As I say, she's been there ten years. And I think um, obviously I'm biased because she's my friend, and I don't know anything about that, by the way. But when you look at other clubs, they've got a rich history that goes back a long time. That's been from a set location. So as a consequence, it makes it's a bit harder because the pool of players you're talking about to build a statue is hundreds of people potentially along the journey. Whereas I think when you think about City, like it's different if it was Main Road, but at the Etihad, you know, before when it was Eastlands, how many players of prominence were really in that time to deliver the emotion, the feeling, the change that the football club has has like gone through in that mm. time. The pool is just that bit smaller. So the ones that stayed the longest, always in contention. And maybe at some point they will. And the but ones even, that drove the change as well. Exactly. Yeah. And even if it ends up not being like, in fact, it's, it's equivalent of like Haaland will be remembered more at City if he wins the Champions League with City. Whereas you look at Sergio and he helped deliver the first series of yeah. titles. So there's a different emotional connection mm. there. So Haaland coming in and helping City win a Premier League title feels great, but it doesn't feel like Sergio did when he scores the winner to win the first one. You know what I mean? Unless Harlan can somehow do something that wasn't done by those that came before, which is why we sort of fascinate with his goal ratio and so on. But if you, if he doesn't score another goal between now and say he leaves in a year's time, but he scores the winner in the Champions League final, I guarantee people remember him doing that and thinking this is what he brought to the football mm. club. And that's quite significant, I think. Yeah. What would he need to do to get a statue? Champions League. How, lo how long would he need to stay? I don't know because the, the rate he's scoring goals if he only stayed for like half Aguero's time if he did like five years <laughs> twice as many goals yeah, <laughs> twice as many goals or like matched it or beat it just became City's all-time leading scorer but yeah Champions League yeah Champions and League and like maybe a couple yeah I think, I think but you're talking about types of players to get a statue him all day yeah like just it's so easy to imagine him with a statue mm. but then it'll be tricky for him because if he doesn't stay the Longest time, like other players have, then you, can't, be, you can't give a player a statue. You're giving a, you're giving a 20 year old yeah. a statue outside your stadium when he travels back there to play for like the next like 10 years because he's playing for another team involved in the Champions League or something. Mm. That would be a bit weird, but yeah, I think for the older ones, like a Gundogan, like a Kevin De Bruyne, I think they'll be acknowledged and I think they'll deserve it. 
might not necessarily be a statue, but it might be something like a testimonial, a special game or something. Or maybe some part of this stadium, you know, because they do yeah. like they do like, like mosaics, mosaics in the things. training ground, don't they? But maybe a bit more like public facing. Yeah. yeah or yeah. maybe even like like a mosaic like on the floor kind of thing. In fact, you've cracked it there. I think they probably don't do another statue aside from Guardiola, but they start to make acknowledgements of the players that have been. Because those three that are up there now, like they're exceptionally... Especially with the stadium redevelopment plans. Yeah. It's like, yeah. get these guys... Kind of like, Hall of Fame sort of stuff. Into yeah. that stadium. Yeah, they're exceptionally significant. So yeah, I think other people will be acknowledged in a different way, mm. but still they deserve I haven't even. I can't believe of all this kind of... Statue chat's only just come around recently. But all of my kind of... Because I'm obviously I'm City correspondent, but a lot of it is like Guardiola correspondent because everything he kind of dictates kind of goes from there. But I, I hadn't even thought about the prospect of him getting a statue. These like we we've I think we've discussed on here before the like significant people within City's successful reign, mm. and I think for all those players and stuff that you name like, that we've named recently, they've all been exceptional. But this will always be perceived as a Guardiola era. Yeah, yeah mm. you know what sure. I mean. Not like we can talk about. I almost feel like you can talk about the Vincent Company type era, you know what I mean, where he was captain of the football club and he went through the changes. But within this Guardiola era, given the fact that he's kind of redesigned the way the team plays every single season and the eyes that are on them because he's in charge, the team could play the same way but have a different manager. And if they did, they wouldn't have the same eyes. But because it's him, the eyes are there and the bar is far higher in terms of measuring what success is. And that's why people say, well, you know, if... The fact that City haven't won a Champions League is a bigger conversation as well because it's Guardiola who also hasn't won a Champions League since point X. You know what I mean? And most of the managers wouldn't be in that position whereby their own personal record is being scrutinised just as much as the football mm. clubs is. But I think that's how significant he is. So I think as a consequence, these this is some of the best football they've ever seen. And yeah, like I think it would probably be him to get something significant. And that's it for episode number four of Let Me Talk Details. Thank you very much for listening and for getting in touch. If you'd like to send in a question for a future episode, you can reach us on our socials or email hello at lmtpod.com. Uh, Sam, there was more from this episode. Uh, which extra bits have we got this week? Yeah, like a very in-depth look at the academy, really. We've had a couple of people asking questions, asking us to look at the academy uh, recently, actually, I was sent a video of like, the under-11 scoring some like unbelievable goals, playing fantastically. So we talked about all the things that, that go into that. And Nadem, obviously, you've got your own experiences as well. Yeah, and it feels like it's a very, very, very long time ago. But I'll try and stay relevant. Yeah? A bit, <laughs> bit of chat about the academy, for sure. That's your strong point, mate. Yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying. Yeah, well, if you'd like to hear that and you'd like to sign up, then all the useful links are in the episode description. Just head over to lmtpod.com as well. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skide af alle de der podcasts og forklarer meget nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lytte til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.